0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at CelebrationChurchLive.com. We keep looking at this concept um, that uh, joy in life isn't about embracing the ups and avoiding the downs. Folks, life's a roller coaster. And so many times, what we want to do is, we would love to just take our life and take the tracks of life and get like a good, a, a good uh, tug on each end of the tracks of life, and just pull out all the kinks, just kind of straighten them out, man. The ups are fun, but the downs are bad, and, and we just like let's just straighten this out. And, and we don't want the roller coaster of life. We want like we want like a train ride through Kansas, you know, where you can just you can see two weeks in advance you know and that okay all is going to be good if you've not driven through Kansas you read a map look at a map of Kansas and it looks like they drew the, the roads with like a ruler on the map you're like they can't be that straight and then you go to Kansas and you're like wow these are seriously this they are that straight and um, that we want our lives to be that way and it's just not the case and so we want to try to Deal with these ups and downs, but here's the truth it's that it's not our joy isn't about embracing the ups or avoiding the downs But in knowing that no matter what life throws at us, God loves us and will carry us forward That's where our source of joy comes from is that even in the tumult even in the mess even in all of it That God walks with us and he is our source of source of joy. Let's look at Romans 15 13 one more time uh, we keep coming back to this truth where Paul is speaking to the Roman Christ followers and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. We keep coming back to this concept that it's as we trust God. So many times we want to have the joy and the peace on the front side like, Ooh, Okay, I feel good. Now I can trust God. No, it, it comes as we trust in God. The the messes come and then we grab a hold of God and he carries us forward into that place of joy and peace as we trust in him. And then there's this beautiful end result that we are able to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now see, I got to watch this roller coaster moment with my youngest son a few years ago where we saw joy and peace manifest as he trusted in God that his daddy wasn't totally insane. And so um, I enjoy roller coasters. Um, I, I, I love them, love them, love them. They're a ton of fun. And we were at Six Flags years ago. Carson, who's about to be 14 this next weekend, um, was about six. And we were there at uh, Fiesta Texas and or wh- wherever the Tony Hawk Big Spin is, wherever that one exists. Maybe it was in, it's in San Antonio. And so we're there and he wants to ride the Tony Hawk big spin, which I don't even know if they still have that ride anymore. And so but it's pretty much was a skateboard so that it's as if you're like going through a skate park. So this this the thing you're on spins and the, it goes on a roller coaster. So your car is spinning and it's roller coastering. And so it's cool. It's cool concept. And so Carson wanted to ride it, and it has the little click, 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 click thing where you go up and then you drop, and it's really cool. So Carson's six, and he wants to ride this. Cutie does not do roller coasters at all, so I'm happily riding with him. So we sit side by side, and we get the little lap belt click in, and we go up, and on our way up, on the little click, 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 on our way up, because we're sitting side by side, Carson reaches over and takes his hands... And he grabs my forearm with both hands. And Carson is not known for for doing a good job of cutting his fingernails. Um, And so I think he wants to secretly be Wolverine or something. He wants claws. And so he reaches over there and he has his fingernails are, are long. And he reaches over and he grabs my forearm. And I don't notice it that much at this point. Until the drop. And then he digs his fingers into me. And um, I don't know if you've ever watched the, the movie, the, the Alamo, you know, where, you, where the guy is getting killed at the end, Crockett is. And he says, watch out, I'm a screamer. And he's like, he's a, Carson's a screamer. And Cutie is like probably a quarter of a mile away. I mean, she's sitting there having a soda under the shade. And Carson goes and he sits there. And as we drop in, he just starts screaming this deep, panicked, three-year-old girl scream, just, ah! and he just screams the whole time, and he digs his fingernails into me the whole time, and I'm like, man, this, this is terrible, this kid is scarred for life, oh, this is going to cost me a ton of money in therapy, this is, this is horrible, he's never going to trust me again, and with every twist, every turn, he's just, he's digging, and Cutie's, Cutie hears it. She hears it. Everybody standing in line behind us hears this kid sound like he's dying on this ride. I think the line got about half as long as all these kids. Were like, I'm out. See ya. And so we get to the end of it, and I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to console him. And his fingers are still dug into my forearm, they are still in there. I bled. Did I not, dear? I bled. He dug his fingernails into the point that he drew blood in my forearm. And he's sitting there, <coughs> sitting there doing, it. we pull up, all of the, all the little ride attendants, all of them are focused on our car. They're like, this kid is freaked out, we've got to deal with it. Everyone's focused, we pull in, and they're just ready to take care of him. And he sits there, and he still has his fingers dug in me, he's not let go. They're still in me. And he looks up and goes, that was awesome! (laughs) It did not sound awesome! It did not feel awesome! But once we got to the end and he saw that the twists and the turns were not going to be the end of him. His daddy was right there and all was good. Then he was like, oh my goodness, that was incredible. And it didn't sound Incredible. He wasn't enjoying it at that moment, but as soon as it was over, he's like, let's do it again. <laughs> I was like, okay, but no, <laughs> no no, digging your fingernails into me this time. I can't deal with that. And man, and cutie was like, what on earth? She goes, I, we heard him screaming from way across the park. I was like, I know. He loved it. <laughs> That's the sound of, it sounded like the sound from Princess Bride of Ultimate Suffering, Apparently ultimate joy and ultimate suffering are kind of like similar. And so, but he he stepped into that. He sit there and at the end of it he was filled with joy and peace as he trusted as he let the whole thing pan out and was ready to step forward and do it again. This morning as we step into and we look at the life of Joseph, We've already talked about that out of all the people in the Bible, Joseph, we've given as, as many ups and downs in his life as we are anybody else. I mean, we see a lot of ups and downs in King David. We see a lot of the stuff that Jesus walked through, a lot of the stuff that Paul and some of the apostles would do. But we get this continue, continual lengthy narrative of how Joseph had these crazy, crazy ups and downs. And our lives are full of them. And today what we quickly want to look at is this this concept. Because some of the deepest, most difficult things that we can deal with, some of your biggest frustrations come in the middle of a place where you're you're just trying to do the right thing. And somehow the right results don't end up with it. And that can be one of the biggest setbacks ever. It's easy for us to go, you know what, I was a knucklehead and I, I dug a hole for myself and I, gotta, I know i got to deal with it. It's a whole nother thing to go, you know what, I was doing the best I knew. I was doing right and everything fell apart. Where's God in that? How do I deal with that? So if you <coughs> track it with your notes, let's just look at this concept. It says sometimes life's biggest setbacks happen when we're trying to do the right thing. Sometimes they happen when we're trying to do the right thing. And I want us to walk away with this truth. Do the right thing anyway. Do the right thing anyway. See, if we're simply just doing the right thing, if we're simply just acting in love and doing all this so that we can can make our own personal lives better than what we've done is we've taken living a life for Christ, living a life of love, living a life of that, and made it this this selfish act of us just trying to take care of ourselves in this I want to make sure I I do this and I do that because it if I don't it'll blow up in my face well sometimes doing the right thing blows up in your face we got to purpose we can't control the outcomes that other people respond sadly sometimes people take advantage of your integrity they know you're an honest person they know you'll do the right thing and they take advantage of it be a person of integrity anyways be an honest person anyways do the right thing anyways Genesis 37 we already looked at the last part of that last week and understood that that Joseph's brothers his older brothers who are they all their sheep herders and and they they have their flocks and and that they had they've been not not doing the right thing and Joseph's the one that pipes up to dad and says, Dad, they're jacking with the family business. Things aren't going right. Ticks the brothers off. The brothers, the brothers hate him. The father, the father honors him and favors him. Well, now we're just a few verses on, and, and we pick up in verse 14. And it says, And so he, Jacob, is talking to Joseph. He says, that, Go and see if all is well with your brothers. And with the flocks and bring back word to me he's the one in charge Jacob's the one in charge he's the one who who needs the information he's the one who has to make the decisions he's the one in charge of the family business and he needs real input he doesn't need stuff that that just is that just makes everybody look good he needs to be able to make good decisions and he trusts that Joseph is the one who's going to give him that unbiased input He's going to look and say, this is what needs to happen. And he sends Joseph out there to do this. This is already blown up in Joseph's face one time because he gives, the, he gives an accurate report and his brothers hate him. But Joseph is pushing forward and he's going, to, he's going to honor his father and he's going to move forward anyway. So then we read on, it says, and then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Sechem, he found a man found him wandering in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? See, Joseph went to where the brothers were supposed to be. This is where they were supposed to be. This is where daddy told them to graze the flocks. This is where they are told to be. And already we see things aren't the way they should be. There's already not. And Joseph is just wandering around. He's just looking for them. He's going all over this, this place trying to find them and some guy notices them out in the films like dude what are you doing like I'm I'm looking for my brothers I'm looking for them can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks And he said they've moved on from here the man answered I heard them say let's go to Dothan so Joseph went up after his brothers and he found them near Dothan they weren't supposed to be near Dothan they weren't supposed to be out there they were supposed to be somewhere else and so right here It's already set up that Joseph's going to have to let his dad know they weren't where they were supposed to be. They weren't in the right spot. In verse 18, it says, but they, the brothers, saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They plotted to kill him. Their hate turned to the place. Their selfishness turned to the place that they were ready to kill their baby brother. Verse 19 says, here comes that dreamer, they said. Now come, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams see family is not supposed to be this somehow we think that in the last 20 or 30 years just because we coined the term dysfunctional family that somehow we live in an age that we kind of get to define dysfunctional family we just look at the scriptures and you can see some jacked up messed up families There's some dysfunction one of King David guy after him, his own heart one of his sons rapes one of his daughters messed up stuff all sorts of crazy messed up insane stuff all happens in the scriptures there's some major dysfunction And here this family it's no different it's no different but it's funny because you think about it and family we want it to be cozy we want it to be comfortable we want family to be this place and I, and I, I looked up a bunch of, a bunch of words in other languages because some words, some words are scary, like the word bougainvillea. You know, bougainvillea, bougainvillea is a beautiful flower, a little, little, beautiful little flower, real soft petals. But you say the name bougainvillea, that's a scary word. That's what you tell kids. like uh, You clean your room or the bougainvillea is going to get you. <laughs> what, happened to the, what happened to that goat? I think the bougainvillea got it bougainville is a full moon bougainville is going to be out (laughs) bougainville is a scary word it's just like and then you find out what it is and it's like oh it's this beautiful little delicate flower why does it got this mean sounding name it's the bougainville but all these words you look in these other languages and none of these like you don't even have to know what they mean and they just they just sound cozy they sound right the Greek word for family is oikos. Oikos. Sounds so friendly, they named a yogurt after it. Nobody wants to eat something that's scary. Yogurt is scary. They have to give it a sound and name. Yogurt's nasty. <laughs> you got to give it a good name. Like, yo play. I'm like, that, that don't play. I don't want that mess. <laughs> Swahili is jama. Doesn't that just sound cozy Just like you're my jama. like well, i don't know that we're that close but don't you call me your jamaa no, it's family it just sounds a little closer than family of course we all know hawaiian if you watch the if you watch it it's ohana now that just sounds good you just want to say ohana that's like a something you hear at, when people are doing pilates or or yoga ohana ohana it's just a peaceful word. Arabic is usra. It's just all of these languages. Every family is always this. No culture looked at family in all its dysfunction, in all its mess, in all its pain, and said bougainville. <laughs> We're gonna put that a scary word on that one because family can hurt you. Even Russian. Russian is a harsh language folks. I had a buddy of mine from college that was a foreign exchange student from Russia and I heard him on the phone talking to his mom and it sounded like, I'm telling you, it sounded like he was just chewing her out. His face was like this and he's over in the corner of the room and and I'm like, dude, what is going on with your mom? It's like, I was telling her I loved her and I missed her and I'm like, (laughs) dude, seriously, there is no way. (laughs) That Those sounds were communicating that. No, no, it's just a, it's a guttural, harsh language. But even in Russia, is simia. Simia. It's just a peaceful, peaceful noun. Japanese is <coughs> kazuko, and Chinese is jaiting. Jaiting. Jaiting sounds like something you're going to order at Starbucks. <laughs> I need a, a vintage jaiting with a double shot of simia. Some of y'all are going to go order that today and see what you get. It's just family. All of these words are cozy words. But we look and we deal with we look at the scriptures who are honest. And we look at our own lives who are honest. And some of the biggest roller coasters in our lives come from this place that every culture around the world wants. Family to be cozy and comfortable and safe. But we look at Joseph's life and that was just not the case. These ups and downs and stuff are so difficult. Because see, sometimes our most painful betrayals, they come from the people we love the most. But I want you to understand this. Love anyway. Love anyway. Genesis 37, 21 says, When Reuben, who's the oldest brother, heard the plans we just read about, he heard this he tried to rescue him from their hands let's not take his life he said don't shed any blood throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness but don't lay a hand on him pretty much just just ditch him here and Reuben had said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father he was pretty much like let's stash him here oh yeah we're just we're gonna be so mean to him it's gonna be bad And would just go on and then he was going to sneak back around, pull him up out of the cistern and take him to his dad. And and try to rescue him. And uh, but things did not quite go that route. So verse 23 says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. The ornate robe that he was wearing. This was the symbol of his favor. This was the symbol of his dad's affection and dad's love. And that's immediately what they came and tried to do. Folks, this is just an aside, okay? But I want you to know that the the enemy, one of the first things he wants to do to you is try to strip from you the fact that God loves you and favors you and is for you. One of the first things the enemy wants to do is he wants to rip that from you and get you thinking some other way to not let that be part of what you wear and how you carry yourself and how you look at yourself he wants to rip that from you the enemy comes in and wants to do that says and then they took him and they threw him into the cistern the cistern was empty there was no water in it and as they sat down to eat their meal so they do all of this and then they have dinner sit down in their mirror and, as, and they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, that's another little aside, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Part of Jesus' lineage is through this guy right here. This is Jesus's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa great talking. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not Leah. Lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Midianite merchants came, their brothers pulled up Joseph out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So here, Judah plans on selling his brother into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. I think that uh, it's not an odd thing that his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson ended up being sold for some silver coins as well in fact let's look at Matthew 26 because betrayal is common people letting you down is common we tend to think it's rare when it happens to us it's like man how, how could this happen but sadly it's common Pete we let each other down we it happens and it happened to Jesus here in Matthew 26 14 it says, then one of the 12 the one called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked and said what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you and so they counted out 30 pieces of silver counted out Joseph was sold and betrayed a handful of silver and Jesus was as well now beautifully what we get is Jesus showing us how to deal with this moment where you love anyways those greatest places of disappointment will come from those we love and we love anyways a few verses later in Matthew 26 verse 48 says now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him I think it's funny that Matthew is writing this. Matthew the Christ follower, Matthew the one who was the disciple, Matthew who's sitting here and he's pinning this. And at this point in the story, Matthew can't call him Judas. Matthew can't do it. It's still oh, it stings him and Matthew switches how he talks about it and Matthew calls him the betrayer let's see what Jesus calls him now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them and and says the one that the one I kiss is the the man arrest him now of all the signals of all the signals he could have just come up and said the one I point to the one I pat on the back all sorts of signals but he chooses the most intimate signal possible says I'm gonna walk into that crowd of men and the guy that I come up and I embrace and I give him a welcome kiss that's the guy to arrest Jesus loves me enough to let him come in and kiss his cheek And I'm going to use that to his detriment. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied. Jesus wasn't caught off guard. He knew what was going on. There have been other places where he had prophesied it and talked about it. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend not betrayer not scumbag not i can't believe you do what you came for friend maybe you're here this morning and you feel really really awkward being in church you in fact you don't even know why you came this morning because you feel like that you've, you've turned your back on God. You've told him to get away from you. You don't want anything to do. You've said, I don't believe. I don't want this. I don't. But I'm here to tell you that he calls you friend. He never quit on you. And he never will quit on you. That awkwardness isn't his awkwardness with you. It's yours with him. And if you'll embrace the fact that he calls you friend this morning, I'm telling you that can drop off right now. He calls you friend. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. See what I want us to walk away with this morning is is don't let the actions of others determine who you become. The assignment this whole time was for Joseph to become someone else. See, the attack is targeting something deeper than the surface problems it creates. It is trying to get to the, <coughs> and it's trying you to get, to deviate from the person God designed you to be. See, Joseph being a man of integrity, Joseph doing the right thing, Joseph, <coughs> Joseph pursuing and, and loving anyways and doing all these different things, this is what gets him to his dream fulfilled. This is what gets him to his destiny, and we'll see it as we walk this out. But I mean, it was trying to get him to be somebody else that it, that to, for him to go, if I do the right thing, it's just going to blow up in my face. Well, guess what? Joseph does the right thing, and it blows up in his face again later. And he does the right thing, and it blows up in his face again later. But he never stops being Joseph. And because he never quit being the man God designed him to be, he gets to where God said he was going to go. The enemy wants you to not be the you God designed. He hates that person. He'll let you be anything else but the person God designed you to be. Don't let the hurts and the attacks and all those things craft you into something less than the person God designed you to be. This is like, it's like a virus trying to rewrite your code and trying to make you into something else. So how do we deal with this? As we close, let's look at Romans twelve twelve. It says, "Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer." Why do we have to be patient in affliction? Why does the scripture have to tell us that? I don't want affliction. I want to grab that roller coaster and straighten it out and have no affliction. I don't want that mess, but it's going to come because. Because there's people, and there's life, and there's an enemy, and it's going to come. But God is with us in the middle of it. Romans 12, 21 says, Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we deal with the absolute messed up attacks that come against our life? Keep letting God shine through you. Keep letting the goodness of who He is carry you forward. Don't let it rewrite that you said, well, I'm not going to love anymore because love just gets me hurt. I'm not going to do right anymore because it doesn't get me anywhere. God's called you to this. That's how we fix this messed up, jacked up world is when the people of God step up and let God shine through us. We can stoop to the world's level anytime we want to. Let's let God shine through us. Let's let Him begin to right all the wrongs through us refusing to answer evil with evil. For us stepping up and letting the goodness of God show up. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for He who promised is faithful. Maybe you feel like Carson and you're on your roller coaster and you've got your fingernails dug into I want you to just do this just dig into Jesus just dig into the Father God he's right there with you you may have some screams and from the outside maybe people would say that don't look like a walk of faith to me Well, they don't get to judge your walk of faith You know what you're hanging on to. You know where your hope is set. Let your hope be set on Him. And don't let anything distract you from that. Joy in life is found in trusting God through the twists and turns. It just is. It just is. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.